Hey y'all, welcome to Shades of Brown, the podcast that discusses the ever-evolving and sometimes contradicting thoughts of a Black millennial. I'm your host, Allie B, and I'm glad you're here with me to listen to this next episode. This week, my guest is Sharon McCoy, who is the founder of The Reading Factory and is a native of Gary, Indiana. Her father was a minister and early in her life, she was enrolled to a Christian school, which ended up being a part of a cult called IFB, also known as Independent Fundamentalist Baptist. Eventually, their family joined the church where her father rose to prominence. She finally left the cult at 35 and has since been actively rebuilding her life. Before we unpack it though, let's get into the brown beats. So, uh, you guys, over the weekend, our beloved dear brother, Kirk Franklin, was all in the headlines, in the shade room and everywhere else, due to leaked audio of a conversation that he and his oldest son were having. And um, firstly, let me say, Kirk Franklin is the GOAT period, point blank. He is so incredible, so amazing. And I just love all things Kirk Franklin. Um, Grew grew up listening to his music. His music is legit the soundtrack of my life. He is incredible. He's an incredible artist and he's always been extremely transparent about his life, his broken background, like all the things, right? And he's, his music shares, right? His journey of healing and all the things. So most people knew that he had an oldest son who was estranged. Like that's not news. Um, and it's very clear that they have a estranged relationship because he's so vocal about his family, yet you never see carry on, right? So this isn't news that he has an estranged son. We just don't hear about him, period. Well, over the weekend, his son leaked some audio, or I'm not even sure who leaked it, but the audio was leaked. And Kurt Franklin was legit talking to his son like a nigga on the street, okay? Um, The conversation, the pieces that I heard, the pieces that I heard, I heard one piece where they were just yelling at each other. um, And then another piece where Kurt Franklin was cursing his son out. And and I I don't care anything about, Kirk Franklin, our beloved gospel artist, using curse words. Like, Christians be cussing. That's just, <laughs> I can count the people in my life that do not curse. Like, the majority of people I know curse. So I'm not tripping about him using curse words. That doesn't bother me at all. So in that aspect, I agree with people. You know, he got in a heated conversation, used some curse words. All right, whatever. That is not the issue here. The issue that I have with what we heard, right? With what we heard, the little bit of that conversation that we heard, context or no context, my issue was how he was talking to his son. Like the specifics behind it, what, how he was tearing his son down verbally. Like I know abuse may be a trigger word, but when you look up the word abuse, it simply means misuse, mishandling of one or of something or a person, right? mistreatment of a person right and that was verbal abuse I don't care how you slice it okay I don't care how you slice it this was no regular argument (laughs) this was no regular I got heated and used some curse words in argument this was I, I am going to hurt you I am going to tear you down I'm going to make you feel this pain now granted it is a safe assumption right it it is a safe assumption that carry on push some buttons. This is very clear. I mean, Kurt Franklin has been honest about the fact that that their relationship is toxic, right? And though I'm not a mother, I know full well that children have the ability to try you in a way nobody else can, right? Like, I I know that. Like, (laughs) I've been spending more time with my nieces and nephews, and they are all toddlers. They're all under six years old. And the way I be like the the thoughts that cross my mind, the things that I be wanting to say to them in moments, I be like, have y'all lost y'all mind? Like I be wanting to say all kinds of stuff, right? So I understand um, how children can uh, push buttons and how your children, not children, but how your children can push buttons. I get it. I understand. And from this situation, all I see is a bunch of wrong, right? All I see is a bunch of wrong, a bunch of wrong on the son's part. Because why would you leak your father's audio? Like that is just a breach of privacy, a breach of trust. Like, come on, man, that that's just not okay. 
that that's not okay to blast your family. That's just not okay. It's not okay to curse at your father. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how y'all talk to each other. Maybe I, I don't know. I wasn't raised like that. Like, I don't care. There are certain things that I would just never say to my mother. Like I have disrespected her on a number of occasions, but cursing her out just is nowhere on the list. But also this idea that only children are to respect their parents, but parents don't have to respect their children is so trash and so toxic and we continue perpetuating this and the things that i saw online from black folks like oh that ain't nothing my children have heard worse and like everyone's done that uh no no and no and if that is common in your house it's not just because it's common doesn't mean it's okay just because toxic behavior is common doesn't mean it's okay to talk to one's child in that manner is not okay i don't care how old they are because truth is clearly there is unhealed trauma in that situation and when there is unhealed trauma you are still at the you are still whatever age that trauma happened at when that thing is unhealed that child just keeps popping up so sure his son is 32 year, years old clearly that man is not operating in the frame of mind where he's thinking clearly he's thinking from his pain he's making decisions from his pain, right? Both of them were. And what I see is two black men who desperately need healing. But what's sad is how we're like, oh, it's a black man. He's being a B-I-T-C-H. He needs to grow up. He can handle it. And it's like, why, why are we not affording why are we not affording black men the same opportunities for healing as we are everybody else? That's just not cool. I know what it is to approach my healing journey in the wrong ways because I just want it to be heard, right? I know what it is to mess up along the way, right? And you go back and you fix those things. So I do believe Carrion owes his dad an apology. Absolutely. Just like I owe my mom an apology when I, you know, started this path of healing and I, I messed up, I'm, which is why I do what I do, which is why I choose to walk alongside folks trying to heal from parental wounds because it's a lot of pitfalls, right? When you're just trying to heal, when you just want to be free. Now, I'm not, I don't know what his case is because it is clear both both parties made it clear that counseling has been in the picture, maybe long-term, I don't know, maybe it's something recent, but they've both said they've been in counseling. So clearly they have been trying to make steps forward, right? I can't speak to anybody's motives, but I just don't care how you slice it. It ain't okay to talk to your child like that. That's just not cool. It's not okay period. One of my friends posted this. She was talking about the weight that a father's words carry. And that's real. Words matter, period. You can say what you want to say, but words matter. The power of life and death we hold with our tongue and we can use it to build or to break. And in that moment, Kurt Franklin used his words to break his son. And that is not okay. And he's still my favorite gospel artist, but that's not okay. Everyone's like, you don't have an apology. Now, maybe he didn't owe us an apology. There's an argument there, you know. But he definitely owes his son one. And furthermore, to apologize to the public before you apologize to your son. Now, granted, that is according to his son. His son said he hadn't apologized. But the guy in the background of that audio who was laughing, he made a post saying that Kirk Franklin did apologize, right? So it's he say, she say. And of course, this is a small clip. That conversation could have been hours long and we heard a few minutes of it, right? I, I get all of that. But this idea that we need so much more information to try and justify whether Kirk was right or wrong. He was wrong. Both of them were wrong. And it's not okay. And I know it's, I know it's not a popular opinion, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I want to see the black family whole. Like I actually want to see that. And I actually am willing to do whatever it takes and to have whatever conversations necessary. We can't be talking about, we want better for our families, but when stuff actually happens and when, People try to have conversations. It's like, oh man, shut up. You a punk. Like, bruh, which, which one is it? So Candace Bimbo, who I absolutely love, she is a professional troublemaker and I adore her. And she is always, she has the ability to art articulate things that I feel in a way that is just so phenomenal. She, And she said this, she said this in one of her posts, where do black men who are honestly trying to work through childhood trauma go for sanctuary? Where do the brothers who were earnestly triggered by that clip, but can't say it publicly because their fathers are revered, find refuge? Who is going to have an honest conversation with the man who wants to be a better father than the one he had growing up in his house? They can't go to some of you because your responses and justifications have made that clear. So where do they go? 
We say we want healthy black men. We say we want them well. But when it's time to make good on what we say we want, they become grown ASS men who can figure it out themselves. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly right. And again, this was th these are Candace Bimbo's words. And it's like, okay, y'all, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because this is a visual of, of toxic generational cycles. If you go back, I, like I said, I've been following Kurt Franklin closely my entire life. So I've heard all kinds of stories that he shared about his family. And if you go back and listen to some of those, what we hear in that audio clip is exactly what he has described from interactions with his own mother, right? And it's like, come on, again, I get it. Folks will try you, right? I get it, folks will push you to a place. But to put the blame on Carrion is saying that I don't have control of my emotions, therefore my decisions are always dependent on somebody else's behavior and that is not cool. That's not cool. That meant calling him a B-I-T-C-H-A-S-S nigga, like that's just not okay. Poor, poor ASS and skinny ASS, like the, the, it was just hurtful. The things he was saying were hurtful to anybody, let alone your son. And we can have a whole conversation about carry on and his, and his disrespect and all these things, yada, 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 I get it. But this idea that parents shouldn't have any accountability over the way they treat their children, I do not agree with it. And I do not subscribe to it. Cause children don't ask to be born into dysfunction. We don't ask for it. We don't ask for it to be a product of dysfunction and then to act dysfunctionally and then to be blamed for that dysfunction when I'm not the cause of it. Come on, man. Everyone needs to be held accountable. How about that? I was deeply troubled and deeply disturbed by so many people's responses. And, and, it, and it triggers me in a very, very personal way on so many levels, on so many levels, because clearly this is a person who is beloved by his own family, right? Like he has three other children who are very vocal about their father and their relationship with their father. And I know what it is to have a parent be a hero to one and a villain to another, right? I have older brothers who don't have the same experience with my father as I do. So for me, it's like, it's not about looking at them like they crazy. I'm trying to be more compassionate. Like, why was your experience that way? I just want to look at it from a more well-rounded perspective. And it's like, multiple things can be true at one time, period. Yes, children should honor their parents, no matter what, no matter what the circumstances are. Also, children deserve apologies. Also, children deserve respect. Like, all of these things can be true at one time. Carry on was wrong and Kirk was wrong. Both of those things are true. I don't think this is about right or wrong, but I do feel like as the parent, he had the responsibility to not use his words that cut and inflict pain on purpose. Cause he thought about that thing. He said, okay, let me break it down to you in a way that you understand. And then went off. That was like, I'm about to make a deliberate decision to hurt you. That I, y'all, that's just not cool. Again, this is my opinion, but I don't care how you slice it to tear down your kids verbally is not okay. And even in one of those clips, in one of those clips, carry on said in one of their counseling sessions, Kurt Franklin's put his hands on them. Like now, granted that can mean so many things that can mean a slap that can mean a punch that can mean a, who knows what that means. Right. And I was raised getting beaten. So there's a lot of gray area there. Okay, guys, I'm not, I'm not saying that, um, all discipline is abuse. I'm not saying that at all, but we, we, we know what the line is. Let's, let's, so why, why are we acting like we don't know the difference between getting in a heated argument and having an all out, like the things he was, that wasn't, it seems if you listen to the audio, it seems that that is a conversation that that is something that has happened before. That did not seem random. That's you could hear just so much anger and resentment and hurt and pain in his voice. It was like, this was deep rooted resentment. That was hatred in his voice, right? So this isn't like a random argument. Those, those happen. We're human. We have a range of emotion and we get to express that even when it's not always right. And I'm, and I'm not even saying that I'm expecting per Kirk to be perfect, right? And his parenting, nobody is. We messing up. So I'm not even really like mad at Kirk for real, for real. It's like, I'm mad at our, our response to it. Everyone's just like, oh, that's fine. 
No, it's not. <laughs> we have to heal ourselves. And and that, that goes for Carrion, right? Now, now what I will say about that Carrion is he can't he can't expect his dad to save him. He can't expect his dad to heal him. He can't expect his dad, none of that. He can get his own healing with or without the validation from his father. And that's something that he will have to resolve within himself. And that's not an easy place to get to. It's just not. It's not an easy place to get to when you want so badly to just be seen, heard, and valued. The healing, the healing journey, he has to take full ownership of that. But that's true for all of us. Our black families, we have to take responsibility for our own healing. No, it's not our fault. We can trace all of this back. We know. We can trace it all the way back to oppression. We get it. But regardless, it is our responsibility. At this point, healing is available and we have the access and the tools to get what we need, to get the healing that we need. So y'all, black men, please know, please know you have the right to own your story and to share it. You have the right. Don't blast your family and, ex and expose folks with the intent to hurt and harm them. But you have the right to seek healing. And it may be messy. Healing is messy. But you have the right to heal. That's just not normal. And I hope to God that Carrion doesn't continue this legacy of toxic communication styles with his children. So yeah, yeah black folks, we, we have the ability to do better. And I am hoping that we will make decisions that are better. Period. <sighs> All right, y'all. Let's unpack it. Welcome to Shades of Brown, Sharon. How are you? I am doing great. I am awesome. Well, let's get into it. Um, I've already introduced you. Uh, so the people are aware uh, that you were raised in a cult. Let's talk mm -hmm. about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, first question, how did you even know you were in a cult? Um, I didn't realize it was a cult until I became an adult. Mm. Oh, wow. And I was in it. And yeah, I was, I was in it. Um, we started with it just being the Christian school mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the school system where I was raised was failing at the time. And, um, uh, my parents didn't want us, you know, they were like most parents, you think mm -hmm. you go to a Christian school to get a better education. Yeah. And so that's how it started. And then we started going to the church when I started, when I got to be like third or fourth grade mm -hmm. and it just seemed very strict. Like, but by the time I had just going to the Christian school, my brain was already, I was already brainwashed. Oh, Even though we were at a different church, my father was a pastor of a different church, but they taught us Bible class. They taught us how to interpret the Bible. So it wasn't just them teaching us Bible stories. They were teaching us their doctrine. They were indoctrinating us then. Wow. So when we were, yeah. So, so this was just you as a child. So your parents aren't receiving this indoctrination at this point. It's just you. It's just us. Okay. It's just us. Cause my parents were working. Um, they were, they were, um, you know, my father was pastoring a church in Gary, which is, was a missionary Baptist church. Mm. And so independent fundamental just seemed more pure. And, you know, they're very nice at first. Mm -hmm. You're the everything at first. And my father had a very charismatic personality. So they were very welcoming of black men. Mm. They are very welcoming of black men and very dismissive of black women. So they mm. accepted my dad, but did not accept my mom. In fact, they were, it was just the same Frederick Douglass story where they, my dad was awesome, but my mom wasn't good enough for him. It was mm -hmm. that thing. So let me pause you for a second. So then I, I have a few assumptions. So when you say us, I'm assuming you're referring to you and your siblings. Mm -hmm. We all like we all went to school there. Okay. And you mentioned the name of it. Say it again. Independent. What, what was it? It's Independent Fundamentalist Baptist. IFB. Independent Fundamentalist Baptist. Wow. Okay. And, and you can look it up on YouTube. If you just put punch in IFB. There have been countless documentaries. They did a CNN documentary um, on with my church. They were actually at my church. They came to Huntsville, interviewed my brother, called Ungodly Discipline by, uh, what's his name? Anderson. Mm, Anderson, um, Cooper. Anderson Cooper. He, wow. um, he was, he, you know, did most of it. And the, like, people have tried to shut them down, can't. 
Wow. So, so even before fourth grade, so what age is that? You were talking what, six, seven years old? So, um, I, I started going to the school when I was five, when I was nine, we joined the church from five years old and you not realizing until you were adult. So how many, how many years total were you involved in this? Uh, this? I left when I was 35. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That is crazy. 35. Okay. And this- but when I was in it, I had gotten so brainwashed. Yeah. I didn't hate it the whole time. I thought I used to put, I used to put the full name Mm-hmm. on my job applications because I thought they're going to hire me because they yeah. see this fundamentalist Baptist. That's okay. how brainwashed and unprepared for the world I was. Wow. So about not- church affiliations got you jobs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So now I have even more personal questions because I met you when I was in college. That was about uh, 10 years, over 10 years ago. So I was fresh out. You was fresh. Wow. Like I was putting on my first pair of pants then. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, we didn't have a TV um, until I was in my 20s. I know nothing about. I watched I watched Coming to America at one of the singles um, comp things. <laughs> they made me sit down and watch it. I had never seen that before. I had never heard of it. Wow. So we were raised just like the 19 and counting people which are oh the people on tlc the 19 and counting with mm. the big family mm. and they don't know anything about mm-hmm. pop culture nothing mm-hmm. we were raised like that in fact i have we have mutual friends wow so you mm-hmm. live a completely isolated life um very sheltered and bubble so what was your reality while you were in it like what were the signs that said okay something is off about this they had one okay so they're teaching you the bible which they're brainwashing you and just teaching you propaganda so some of the first bible lessons they teach you is the story about elisha when the when the kids made fun of elisha god sent bears to kill the kids and so that was how they taught us to never dis never criticize question like we taught us we were never allowed to ask why and they also taught us this idea like they didn't believe in Dr. Seuss stories so when I was a kid I was hearing stories about people who died for their faith so it was always this there was always this idea that one day the government's going to be against your Christian walk and they're going to bust in the doors and ask you to throw away your bible or wear pants or we're going to put we're going to blow your brains out and you better take a bullet Wow. And so there was always this one day something's going to happen. So I'm five years old. Wow. Six years old, eight years old. Wow. You know, going to the altar, praying and, and I'm dedicating my life to die. Like I'm receiving the calling to die for Mm -hmm. for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That's who I thought. So like, but, but like certain, I had teachers that would show up to school um, with bruise on there. I had one teacher show up to school with a bruise under her eye. They just put makeup over her eye. And then um, every so often there would be people that would start going to the church. And then the wife would be like, will give their husbands an ultimatum and they would leave. But it was always like, yeah, she left because she said that this was a cult. Or we would hear about certain people that wasn't complying with the rules. And it would be like, they're saying this is a cult. This isn't a cult. We're, we're just living by the old paths. We don't mm-hmm. believe in, you know, the old path. So mm-hmm. they kept us, we weren't, we didn't all live on campus, but we were there. We only went home to sleep. So until wow. I was like in my twenties, there was never a moment where it was just like us chilling at the house all the time. There yeah. was always somewhere to be on campus. Jesus. Always. And how large now that, and then, now that was for us. Yeah. The staff kids were living their best life, going to Chicago, shopping on Michigan Michigan Ave, mm-hmm. the rest of us were struggling. And h- how large is this church? And um, I'm assuming it's predominantly white because you said that they were welcome yes. black men. Okay. So how large was the church? The church is about uh, between 1,500 and 2,000 people. Wow. That's mm-hmm. that church. But there are multiple because they're independent. They don't believe in having a board of directors over them. So it's whatever the pastor says. 
So there's all these little unnamed churches Mm -hmm. that are a part of this group called like they, they, we get our music from the bookstore there. We get our reading materials from there. And it's generally things that are published by this music company called Faith Music Mission mm-hmm. or this uh, publication company called The Sword of the Lord. And so everything we read was a IFB produced thing. So I didn't even listen to Christian. Like, like I didn't even listen to Kirk Franklin. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, even, you know, even in regular churches, uh, when, when Kurt Franklin got big, they was calling him all, uh, all kinds of secular. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, so Lord. <laughs> we need to have, yeah. I mean, like sometimes it's just like, you look back on it and it's like, really? What I hear you saying is like any, any literature, any um, type of education or entertainment that was outside of IVF was not allowed. Is that an accurate statement? And if you, yes. And if you look at, I was just, I grabbed, like I was going through my mom's stuff and she had one of my tech school textbooks Mm -hmm. and it was a high school biology book. They taught every system, but the reproductive system. Wow. So there's no discussion. Wow. So what, what personal implications did that have on you as a woman? Um, okay. So when I left at 35, I had zero life skills because everything was the man the woman needs to be what she needs to be so that the man can be what God called him to be Mm -hmm. so everything that they taught us it would be like okay man make sure you're hard workers make sure you're this women you just need to learn to obey your husband and then you know basically women can't find God's will for their life only a man can only thing a woman can figure out God's will for is who she marries and then she follows him Mm. whatever God says to do. And when it comes to like career and stuff, it was like, okay, well, you're not going to work a job. You're, you only need a job until you get married because your husband's going to take care of you and you're going to have babies. That's what, mm. that's your job and be a good keeper of the home. Mm-hmm. And so first of all, I was in an all white ch- church that didn't believe in interracial dating. Not that I would have dated. I've never been attracted to that at all. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I've never, that's just not been my thing. Mm -hmm. But, but then it was like, that wasn't, that that wasn't conducive for what I was going to be growing up. Like, like that was great for the little girls, like the other white girls that was getting married at 20, 21, 18, getting a degree in piano playing at the Christian college. Mm -hmm. Um, I got a, I got a degree, a non-accredited Christian school degree. And then I didn't realize that most of these Christian schools weren't hiring me because of my skin color. So then by the time I met you, I was still trying to figure out rebuilding my life, but I had no life skills Jesus, because I only know how to, uh, cook and do wifey stuff, maybe, which is cleaning because we know nothing about sex. So, wow. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. So, okay. So, so how did this affect your personal relationship? So did you have any friends? Did your family have any associates outside of this fellowship? Not really. All of them were, it's, it's so weird because thinking about now being one of the only black people in a predominantly white racist, they weren't, they weren't, there weren't even microaggressions. They were very openly racist. Mm-hmm. The funny thing about it is your, your mind gets, they, they get so, um, your mind, you get brainwashed. Yeah. You get brainwashed and you believe that if you leave something bad's going to happen. Cause every time someone got cancer or, Every time somebody got in a car accident, they will point out, you know, they just to- talked back to the pastor and left mm. and, you know, got in a car accident. Mm. So you think, okay, I have to stay here. You know, race means nothing. I have to stay here because if I, if I don't, God's going to kill one of my family members or God's going to kill, you know, myself. So when my father, my father was, ki- was killed by a drunk driver when I was 21 and their response, their grief counseling to me was, well, God killed your dad because you were a bad daughter. And that's what they told my mom. She was a rebellious wife. So God took her husband. Are you so kidding that's how, me? Girl, my father wasn't even buried when they said that. That's what we were dealing with. They were attacking us. It was almost criminal. They were attacking us, but, but they did want some of this, um, the, the insurance money. What? Now, now what now? Oh, they wanted that. They, they wanted the tithe off the insurance. My father sold insurance. So we had, we had good insurance, but 
but they did because my mom missed a zero on her on her check for her money order for the um tithe and they hounded her down are you kidding me mm -hmm. so it was an obligation and obligation and then they and then my father was on staff so staff kids get free tuition and mm -hmm. we work staff hours to cover all that mm -hmm. so they had calculated because they were all they were out of town on a retreat and they came back early when my father was killed that whole time they're coming back early they weren't worried about how we were they took that time to calculate how much money how, how much it cost for us to go to school for free since my father was on staff and they came with a number of like $70,000. And he was like, we've given you $70,000 worth of education. And they were kind of hinting because they wanted my mom to write a check. Oh, so I think that's when it started to break down for me. Mm. That's when I was like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Cause I, cause you know, when your father dies, I was taught that my next leadership, I don't have, my father's not my leadership. The next is my pastor. So mm. I'm running to my pastor. Like he's going to make everything right. Yeah. And uh-uh, that's not what I got. And I'm so glad it happened. It was the worst situation. But if it wouldn't have happened, I'd still be there. Jesus. Because they train you to look down on everybody else. So I would be driving through town like, oh, man, these poor unsafe people, they're not having as much fun as I am, not even realizing <laughs> that I wasn't even having fun, but <laughs> yeah, not even realizing. That's comedy. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm like, they're not having as much fun as me. I'm, you know, knocking on doors that in 30 degree weather <laughs> at, at nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. I'm passing out tracks, doing the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is hilarious to me. It's funny though, because not to compare, but it's just, I can understand why people even refer to more common denominations, black denominations, uh -huh. you know, in a cost of denominations, why they refer to those things as cults, because what you speak of, it isn't, it's not uncommon, the, the, the extremity of it is right. Like the, uh -huh. the intensity of it is, but these things uh -huh. speak of, unfortunately are very common, you know, being extremely judgmental. Uh -huh people um thinking that everyone's going to hell except for you or you or except for mm -hmm. you you know and and believing that the pastor is god and you know mm -hmm. women being oppressed and the man having all of the power these are these mm -hmm. are things within christian churches unfortunately mm -hmm. Um, thank God and, we have, you know, made up minds these, or thank God we have some, some sense these days, you know, to ask the questions and, and make informed decisions. But unfortunately, a lot of people have similar experiences and I'm so sorry that yours was ex this extreme. Mm -hmm. So at 21, this happens. What questions did you start asking of your pastor? And well, I just started looking at him like, because then he went from there to, um, I, they used to have me sing and sometimes he would fat shame me before, like some of you fat women, blah, blah, blah. And I would go up what? to sing. So there were, there were moments that I thought, you know, when you're going through abuse, any kind of abuse, you want it to be your fault because you think if it's my fault, if I change, it'll stop. You don't want to believe that they just did not like you. Mm. and they just chose you to bully you mm. and they did it's my my theme now is they did what they did yeah they did that there's no there's no talking about it trying to get their perspective yeah they did they did what they did period and it's like um uh, period and um he just chose us to be um because there were so many moments I should have left yeah. Before that, they were dropping the N word. They had this Wait, rule in what? college that, oh yeah, they were dropping the N word. Oh, I was called all kinds of jungle monkey and uh, something else they called me that I didn't even know was a racial slur until, uh, I can't remember what it was. And then um, they were dropping the N word. And then, you know, eventually I left in my, tw I left that church in my twenties. Mm -hmm. But I went to another fundamental Baptist church in Madison that was less, it was more loving, more loving, more giving, not racist, none of that, but it was still fundamental mm. and it still had those elements of, of cult and those elements of, 
oh man, here comes the pastor or what was the pastor saying? You know, the pastor's preaching sermons about, you know, women being an abomination. If they wear pants, all these sermons against women and all these sermons about like, you know, you know, whatever, whatever they want to call it, whatever their yeah. thing is. And so very, very hate, hateful sermons and they're actually just very controlling. And it's that mind control where I needed my pastor to tell me how to think. I need mm-hmm. my pastor to approve what I'm doing. I need my pastor. And, um, but I didn't know better. I just thought, again, in the back of my head, oh, I don't want to go to the devil. So I don't want God to send judgment because I didn't know God as a loving God. Mm. I knew God is, it's like the love that I knew was that love that said, it was like the, the, um, the Lord, like God had a fist. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I love you so much. I'm going to punch you in the face until you do right. Mm. Oh, Jesus. This is so that's disturbing. What, that's what, so when you talk about God's love, yeah. I, I knew love as I'm beating you because I love you. Because yeah. that's the kind of discipline I received. Yeah. And it was like, I'm only doing this. This is hurting my heart. I'm only doing this because I love you. So I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the love of God. And there are times that like when I get on an airplane, I still have that thing in me that wants to confess all my sins and repent because I don't want God to kill me and 200 other people because, because like Jonah. I am near tears. Oh my God. I am literally, I'm physically uncomfortable with this conversation because I'm thinking about the many people, specifically the many women who are in situations Mm -hmm. like this and they have no idea. Mm -hmm. They, all they know is if I don't do this, I may become hurt. I may be killed. I mean, whatever, but they love me. He, He loves me because you know, after he beat me or after he belittled me or after he was condescending, he did this, you know, and he, you know, he paid my bills or he right. did this and this or what he did something nice. Right. He gave me a hug. He, he, paid the he, rent. Gave, me, he gave me affection. It's like, what in the world? Right. And it's, this is insane. And it's not bad all the time. Yeah. Yeah. What? Cause there was moments of coolness. And then there was moments where it was just like, what? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a whole abusive, and I have always had an abusive, toxic relationship with church. Ugh. I choose the one I choose them, um, because I always assume that that they will have my back. So I I used to be there at every church mm-hmm. every day. You ask me to do it, I want to do it because in my head, that is me showing that I am, I'm on fire for God. Yeah. So now. So, yeah. So then, you know, so I went from there to an all black fundamental Baptist church Mm. and that was just as bad Wow. because, you know, I'm a plus size outgoing, loud Mm -hmm. female who shaves her head when she feels like it Mm -hmm. or which by the way, you have to mess out that bald head girl. You make the (laughs) the mess out of it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. But, you know, that doesn't work well in these fundamental churches that are man oriented. Mm-hmm. So I remember, you know, and my idea, I couldn't wait to go to an all black church because I thought mm-hmm. I'm about to have all these dating experiences and, and not even marriage, just like go on dates, hang out with the girls, mm-hmm. have like these black conference, you know, have these black moments. Yeah. So I could deal with the white racism because I knew one day I was going to go to a black church, even of like faith, and I'm going to have all these experiences. But when I got, when I got there, I pretty much wasn't ish to them. Mm. So what like, did this teach you about not. your relationship with God? You, you, you talked a bit about it, but, um, did they encourage personal time with God? Did they encourage you having your personal worship experiences, your personal prayer time? Did they encourage that? Or was it like God only speaks to you through the pastor? They encouraged um, us to read our Bible and pray every day. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, the song, read your Bible, pray every day. But yet when I would watch them read their Bible, it was all of five minutes. Read my Bible, say a little prayer, move on. Mm-hmm. They never, inc- I've never been, I've been taught to read my Bible and pray and cross that off my list. I did mm-hmm. that. I'm good. My, my day is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be blessed. Mm-hmm. But I was not encouraged to meditate and listen to the voice of God. Yeah. They considered that more 
new age Christianity, meditating on God's word, all of that. So it was like, oh, we're not new age. Mm, Even though it's in the Bible. Okay. Yeah. But they (laughs) even talked about how they don't fast. Okay. Yeah. But see, the thing is, it's like, if somebody, if somebody is teaching you a new language, Mm -hmm. you're going to call things what, what, what they tell you it is in that language. Yeah. But if they teach you the wrong words, you're going to be calling a doorknob, a banana or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So when you read the Bible, you read it and you interpret it the way they told you to interpret it. Yeah. Because I've been here since I was in kindergarten. Jeez. So I don't ever remember hearing messages about God's love and that God just loves you the way you are. Mm. It was the opposite of that. So let's talk about the moment you decided, okay, this is enough. I've had enough. I am leaving IFB completely. What was the final straw for you? Um, For me, it was, so I was in the church in Georgia and this, I went to a women's conference with these ladies and the woman that they chose to preach may have been a little too current for them. Okay. And she preached a message just trying to uh, bring the two generations together, mm-hmm. the older generation and younger generation. And basically she was saying, you know, older generation Christians, we were taught that a girl only wears a mini skirt or a two piece bathing suit if she's trying to lure men. But what if, what if you just, what if she's just wore that, that skirt because she thought it was cute? Yeah. Maybe she's not walking out in the street. Like I'm about to lure all the men. That's how we were taught in church. Mm-hmm. You know, those girls wearing those mini skirts trying to lure men. And then, you know, and so these, my the ladies, they basically, I mean, it was like their heads were turning. They were done. They were like, oh, we're never going back. And, you know, there's only one reason a girl dresses immodest. And all of a sudden something clicked in me and it, it made me realize, wait a second, they're not going to change. Because there was a time where I thought maybe God has me here to sh- open their li- eyes mm. and shit, you know, do the light. Those are those games that you play mm-hmm, when you're in an mm-hmm. abusive situation. Mm-hmm. Or I maybe can I can change them. them. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know, God can use me to, to be, to, you know, be that person that mm-hmm. stays no matter what. It's these games of procrastination mm-hmm. that you play. And then I realized, oh, they're not going to change. And immediately that Sunday, I was like, um, just so you know, I'm... I'm leaving like I'm like this summer when the school year is over because I was teaching I finished my contract and it was like um I'm moving back to Huntsville but I even then I didn't have full faith in telling them that I'm just not going to do fundamental anymore but it took me a while it took me a while to realize that I mean not to realize to let them know that I was not going to be IFB I was very clear about that because there were some things that I never gave up, even though like fundamentalists do not believe in like speaking in tongues or because if they did a lot of stuff they did, God would work through that. Like, like they really just believe in the Bible and they believe in the Bible. They take the Bible literally. So Mm -hmm. Uh, do you still have relationships, connections with any of these people or did they cut you off cold turkey? And what about your family? Is your family out? Are they still in? What's that dynamic? My family is out. Praise the Lord. Um, Well, you know, Faith, she's out. And then um, my my brother lives in Hawaii. He's out. My younger sister, my older sister lives in Japan. She's out. My mom lives here. She's out. My mom was out before, like not long after my father died. She went back to her home church in Gary. And then, um, and then I started going to a large church here in Huntsville. I think the first church I went to was The Rock. And um, I was watching them online during all of this. Like when I decided I was leaving, I pretty much joined the church online and was like, I'm before online ministries was a thing. I was on, I was watching their little services. And, um, and that's when I started lifting hands and like getting um, back involved in that kind of stuff. And I learned about speaking in tongues. I got my prayer language and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then um, after that, I started going to the church. That's where I met you. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that lasted. My problem with church is that, my problem with churches is that when you've been in a cult, anytime I can smell that cult thing, I pack up my stuff 
and I go like that Viola Davis meme. I get my wig <laughs> and my bag and we and yeah. we walk out. I'm, I'm happy you said that. And I want to tread lightly here um, because if anyone that's listening that knows the both of us, they know where we met. Um, so mm-hmm. I want to tread lightly, but I do remember noticing that you were there at a, for a short time. And I was always curious mm-hmm. about what led people to leave or stay because when I was there referring to the church we both went to in college when I was in college when I was there I noticed there was this like um this revolving door where people you know come and go and now that I am no longer a part of that specific denomination I see things a bit um more clearly and can can understand why Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) if you weren't you know born in you probably looking at this like oh no 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 so can you speak Mm -hmm. to I let me say this though I do not think that the church I attended in college is a cult I do not think that Mm -hmm. I actually admire that pastor greatly Mm -hmm. um I I loved that ministry in college but considering your story and knowing what I know in regards to my experience what, what, and, and, and this, of course, is not just about that ministry, but just in general, what were some things that you mm-hmm. would begin to notice in other ministries that were not a part of IBF, that were not a cult? What were some of those similar things that you were like, oh, uh, this is too familiar? What, what were those things? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that some, I think that some churches really have to be careful with things that make the leadership comfortable, but it is, it's not in the long term. It's not long, like the the data don't lie. Like you said, a revolving door. So obviously there's something that's that may be working for the leadership, but not working for the people. Mm. And I did not, it was, it was, there's this hierarchy in churches that I don't like where it comes off like everybody is, uh, what's the guy on Empire? Ah, I didn't watch that show. Okay, whatever his name is, uh, Lions. Okay. Whatever uh-huh. his name is, everybody has that spirit where it's like you're this um pastor and whatever you says goes and you have this like you got six people in the church and all of them are on your security team and and I'm not I'm not hating on anybody, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying some things there are some attitudes that are comfortable for leadership. Mm-hmm. But it's off-putting. Mm. For people who come to church, because people like me, I'm not the only one that's been in a cult. There's yeah. cults all through, all through the South. So mm. there are people that are going to walk into churches like the church we were in or or some of these mega churches, these non-denominational churches. And they it's they are going to interpret things differently. Not that they're doing it wrong or yeah. intentionally wrong. Yeah. Now, the church I came out of, they were intentionally wrong. Yeah. They did what they did. So but, what do you think? Like, that- I think a lot of churches that have been like the old ship of Zion, sometimes you have to do data research and mm-hmm. you have to look at the data and say, you know what, maybe we need to evolve and maybe we need yes. to stop with some of this, uh, dis- like districts that it came off like hunger games, like district three mm-hmm. and district, all this junk and yeah. just be a church. Yeah. What, what's the, what do you think that thin line is between a destructive organization and a healthy one, because you, we may see some of these um, themes, even within a healthy organization, what's that thin line to say, okay, I'm good here. This is structure, or this is order. This is God's order for the church versus mm-mm, this is a red flag. What, what would you say that thin line is? I would say humility. Like mm. when I can see humility and not, and to me, I just have an issue with like titles. We live in a world now where everybody needs to push up their sleeves and just do the work because we're spiraling. Like whether it's COVID, uh, political unrest, like we're, we are, we are not far from being that, that country that goes to war during politics. And I think the church needs to put off our titles, take off all that white, and and it's time to get to work and literally minister and talk to people. Yeah. And um, the churches that I have gone to, like the church that I'm a part of now, when I can see a servant, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but when but when the leadership comes off, like they want to be untouchable, it's just like, because mm, that's that's the thing that we got. 
when I was in a cult, it was, a, it was like a blessing to be in the presence of the pastor. Like, like I could change my <laughs> yeah. father's whole mood. Yeah. If I like, he could be so mad at me, but if I said something like, Hey, preacher said hi to me. Oh, really? What did he say? How did he say it? When he said, it's almost like we were the feudal Lords, the feudal <laughs> Lord spoke and we were the peasants. And that's, yes. that's exactly how it is because yes. their kids are rude. I mean, their kids were like 18 calling my dad by his first name. And he had been a pastor for 25 years. And it was like, Hey, Darcel. And he's like 17, these, this 17 year old kid. That wasn't our culture. You know what I'm saying? Jesus. But that was them calling him boy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but we were so enamored to have anybody with that last name, the pastor's last name, give us a shred of attention. Mm -hmm. So when I see that in churches, I ain't saying I have to have your phone number because I'm not with, I'm like, I mean, I know pastors need a break, but I'm saying with you, like I'm saying, speak, mm -hmm. let me know that like, like serve. Let's, I, I want to serve with you. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to hear stuff like you may have to start as a, um, as a, you know, cleaning toilets as if there's like this level. I want to know that we all going to be doing it whenever it needs to be done. Yeah. It's not a, oh, I done moved up to elder. I don't need to clean toilets anymore. We all do it because we're all doing the work. And I think when people see that, when, we, when people see the pastors picking weeds, rolling lawns, straightening chairs, that does something different in the church to where they're like, oh, we're working together. Yes, yes. And and I am in a lot of ways I'm extremely liberal, but I'm still um I'm still like a, you know, uh an old school church girl, right? So I believe yes. in I believe in honor. I believe in honoring the man or woman that God has placed um to lead any local body, right? Like I, I believe in mm -hmm. honor. What I don't believe in, though, is being manipulated to believe they are God in the flesh like that. Because right. mm -mm, mm -mm. the truth is, right, you we are the same. You you just have been, you know, called to be the shepherd. Right. So I honor your position. I honor your mm -hmm. assignments. Right. Mm -hmm. But let it be known, though, we're going to be judged yeah. the same on Judgment Day. OK, boo -boo. right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so let, let's talk about your personal journey post-cult. What have been some ways you've explored your own personal healing? Because it's, it's crazy because whether it's a romantic relationship or a cult, these, um, when, it's, when it's an abusive relationship, it show, these things show up in, in similar ways, right? Talking about mm -hmm. you know, being controlled and being manipulated and being brainwashed mm -hmm. and believing that um, you have to prove yourself, you know, or, or prove your worth to these people or that you're going to be the one to change them. These are similar things we see throughout abusive relationships. So how have you overcame that? What ways have you explored healing for yourself? Um, a lot of prayer. Um, licensed, non-Christian, licensed counseling. I don't want to say non-Christian, but someone who is licensed, not newthetic counseling, yeah, licensed therapy, yeah, um, and um, prayer because when you actually and my prayer is less about prayer and more actually having a conversation with God, and I think that all these things had to break down, had to humble my walk because while when you're in a cult, you it's weird. Even in, I think it's in any toxic abuse, abusive relationship, God has to break you down from being, feeling like having a, a God complex. So God finally broke me down to where my prayer wasn't about, oh, that was a good prayer. I got loud. I cried. I did all these things, but didn't even listen to what God was saying. And my prayer was more talking to God, like, God, I am frustrated. I have no idea what to do next. And I got to where God was like, then read your Bible and let me tell you who I am. Yeah. And so I read my Bible and it's like, God showed me who he was. I'd never in my life asked God, what's your name? Mm. Who are you? Like today mm. I started student teaching for the first Ooh. day. And this student just kept walking up to me, asking me, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite this? And it was so sweet, but I've never asked God that. I'm sorry. We have to stop right there. We have to stop. We cannot pass by that. That is so powerful. I never just ask God, what's your name? Who are you? Who are you? Like, 
show yourself to me. That is so powerful. And it does take humility, you know, like, no, I don't know it all. Sure. I've been in church all my life. Sure. I've been taught the Bible, whatever, but nah, I want, I want you to tell me personally, who are you? What do you, like? who are you? What do you, what do you life? like? Yeah. What don't you like? Ooh. I've always let somebody else tell me. And how does that work in any relationship? Right. I mean, you can't build a relationship uh, with a man being like, oh, I asked your mom about blah, 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 or I asked your sister or your friend, but never ask him. Mm. It's like, okay, so then it's like, so God has to show me that. But then God started showing me issues and things that were like, I had issues with men and I had issues with hating men where mm -hmm. I looked at men like um, competition mm -hmm. or I needed to, I need to show them that they will never yeah, you know, um, control me. And so God had to, I think I've been annexed from male interaction <laughs> because honey, I ate them, hurt them. <laughs> I got to where I was, I was talking to pastors. Like I was, I was coming wrong and <laughs> I mean, chip off the old black. I mean, I'm, I've told pastors, their kids were garbage. I mean, I, I oh. was just like, I'm just being honest. <laughs> or I, I used to correct sermons. I girl. Cause I was just like, I just, and it was, to me, it was a flex move. Yeah. It was like, I just want you to know that out of all these other people are brainwashed, but not me. I mm. won't be. Um, mm. So this is what, I just need you to know that we're equal with Bible mm. knowledge. And I was, I've been, God has allowed me to have gracious pastors who um, didn't give me what I deserved. And, and it's a good thing they didn't, because we would have been, I would have came back with that. But gracious pastors to see that I was hurting. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, and I was broken Wounded. and, yeah. um, so, um, and now it's, I'm still a work in progress with that. And, but, but I think that moment that I realized that there was no, in my personal life, there was no like knight in shiny armor. I was sitting here waiting. Like I, I would serve church and I wouldn't even take jobs that interrupted what I was doing at church. So I was always broke, in other words. And I just thought, well, God's just going to send me a Girl. husband that's going to take care of all that. <laughs> Girl, I just thought there were going to be little elves that's going to come and handle it. Oh and I'm just going to, you know, when I when my husband shows up who can afford to allow me to sit at home and get all these, f finish my degree or whatever. And it was that moment where I realized that, no, no, Sharon, um, reading your Bible doesn't mean that I'm first in your life. Obeying me means that I'm first in your life. Hello. So hello, when I'm studying hello. for school, when I decide to get my master's and get an accredited degree and then get my, so this degree that I'm getting, that I'm graduating in June. This has been me going back to school and getting my degree accredited, then getting a master's for licensure. So when I get my teaching job, that's a whole miracle. Mm. So me having an accredited degree is like the step towards taking care of myself because I thought that a man was going to do it. Mm. I was 35 wow. when I realized like, and actually I wasn't even 30, 35 was when I got out of the cult. It took me years to realize. It took me like five years after that, three, four years after that. I'm 40, just now graduating with a master's. Jesus. Just now getting an accredited degree. I've been working in daycares, honey, looking at uh, one day, the one day my prince will come and, you know, pay my bills and I can be submissive to him. Mm. and wow you know well I am just but, so happy that you are but God, with, but God. I'm just I'm just so mm -hmm. happy that you are in this space where you are continually healing being aware mm -hmm. you know that you are in a space of needing God to restore and and reform and to transform like I, I just I just love that you know because it's a lot of folks who are still stuck in this stuff and they have mm -hmm. no idea that it's even a thing. Mm -hmm. They have no idea how wounded and abused they are and brainwashed they are. So I just, I praise God for shining the light of awareness on your life, you know, so that you could come into the truth. Um, mm -hmm. So my final question is like, what is your advice or encouragement to people who are unknowingly a part of cults? I would say meditate meditate on God and he will tell you what to do next. Because I mean, this sounds so generic, but Proverbs three, five, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thy own understanding and all thy ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And I will say that in my time in the cult, there were opportunities to leave 
God sent someone in San Diego when I was in San Diego to ask me about upgrading my spiritual walk. And I berated him and persecuted him verbally. And God was giving me out. God was trying to give me wisdom. So I would say if they would just, if you're in a cult, you are listening to somebody else. I would say, turn that off and just take five minutes in the morning and meditate on the word of God and listen for God's voice. And whatever God says, like Mary in the Bible, when God turned, when Jesus turned the water to wine, you have the attitude of whatever he says, I will do. If he says, leave, leave. And he'll, you take that step to leave. He'll um, tell you what to do next. If he says, stay, stay. But more than likely he's going to say, leave, then leave. Take whatever you have and get out. Yeah. If, if you go by yourself, you go by yourself. Because to answer your question from the, from the, um, that you just asked about the friends that left, they all left. Hmm. So all my lifelong friends that I had since kindergarten were gone, but they weren't, they weren't for me. Yeah. They weren't going to help me succeed. So I would say, listen to the voice of God because yeah. he is talking. It's just all that other stuff is overriding it, but God is speaking. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Wow. This was so powerful. So, so, so Thank powerful. Oh, that was just goodness. Anywho, let's uh let's get into this next segment. Brownie points. I want you, Sharon, and my listeners to think of something that you've done recently that you are proud of. It can be big or small. The goal here is just to get us to shift our focus onto um, something positive and to give ourselves some self-love on today. Um, okay. and, and and take away the focus from the things that we haven't done or or, or you know, or the things that we um, maybe haven't checked off our to-do list. Like, let's not focus on all the things that we need to do. What have we done well? So Sharon, what are you giving yourself brownie points for today? Well, I stepped out on faith and um, resigned from my job that I've been in from almost, for almost five years so that I could student teach. Because student teaching is four months. It's all day. You teach all day, like, like a regular school day. And I have to do it. I have to do it twice. So I have to do it for four months. And I'm student teaching because I'm finishing my degrees, both my masters. I'm finishing that. Um, so I'll be mastering it. And I, I graduate in June. I graduate. I'll be done June 2nd. Congratulations. So um, I'm believing God for a good teaching position. Yes. And I'm student teaching. Actually, today was my first day of student teaching. It went well. Um, awesome. So I am excited for what God's going to do next. Awesome. Congratulations, Sharon. That is so exciting. So very exciting. Um, Today, I am giving myself brownie points for, honestly, this is going to be so simple, but let me tell you something. The way my, the last week has been, this is just going to be it, child. I'm giving myself brownie points for finally getting to my laundry. When we get done talking, I'm about to do mine. That's awesome. That's huge. <laughs> Listen, who child? It's like you just see the power there, and it's like, oh, tomorrow, oh, tomorrow, oh, tomorrow. Well, tomorrow is here, and I finally got to it. So that's awesome. what I'm giving myself brownie points for. Um, all right. So uh, before we head out, Sharon, please uh, let the people know where they can find you, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or however people can support you, please let us know. Um, well, I have a tutoring um, business called The Reading Factory, and we're on Facebook. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Sharon McCoy. And my Instagram is hashtag Queen Sharon. At hashtag Queen Sharon? Uh-huh. The okay. word hashtag. Hashtag the word, spell it out. Right, right. It's at hashtag Queen Sharon. And then my Facebook is Sharon McCoy. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again so much uh, for coming on. And you're welcome. Congratulations again for uh, this new season you're in and for uh, completing your um, degree in June. So I'm excited yes. for you. I'm excited for your tutoring program to blow up. Like it's, I'm just excited. Yes. For all right, y'all, this is all that I have for you today. So black folks, please remember this. You are enough and your creation is so divine and I
love me some you. So until the next episode, be healthy, be whole, be healed.